Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs post-trade deadline edition. Uh, I'm Cam, along with Nick and Keith, and it was a fairly quiet deadline day after uh, an incredibly hectic couple of weeks. Uh, Kyle Dubas took care of business early. We've already discussed the big moves. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Jake McCabe. Uh, On Tuesday, the Leafs made a trio of moves and just one minor deal on deadline day, acquiring Redeem Zahorna from Calgary for Dryden Hunt. Uh, But I wanted to to start off with a a little bit of sentimentality here. Luke Shen suited up for the Mm -hmm. Leafs for the first time in over a decade this week, coming over from the Canucks. And I got to say, as someone who was penciling in Wendell Clark and Dougie Gilmore on the fourth line several years after they both retired, like shortly before Shen was drafted, (laughs) this just check some boxes for me. Uh, lo- loved this move. I've been kind of the, talking about this this possibility in in recent pods, and uh, and it happened. And you know, he's uh, I'm not expecting him to be a top four guy by any means, but uh, love seeing him out there. Listen, I, I think we all know what Luke Shen is at this point in his career. We know what his limitations are, what he's capable of, what he can provide on the back end. But seeing him in a Leafs jersey again after the way things went for him the first time he was here and everything he's been through in his career since then, if that didn't make you feel some type of way, like, I don't know why you bother watching or paying attention to this sport. Like it's just a really feel good moment to, to see him come back. And he seems just over the moon to be a leaf again and have another shot to find some kind of success here where he was drafted. And yeah, just a a really cool story. And I think he brings an element to this blue line that was, you know, in very short supply before he came along. So yeah, hard not to be excited about seeing him back in blue and white. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of wondered too, like he didn't necessarily have a a fair go, you know, with the Leafs and, and kind of was rushed in and then he was kind of made scapegoat and then he was kind of, you know, traded away. So like, you didn't really know what his feelings about the the team was, you know, what, what it would look like, but his, his intermission hit there and just all the stuff that he's been saying, like you can tell he's, he's fired up to be a Leaf again. It it means something to him. So yeah, like you said, like that, you got to kind of sometimes remove the, you know, Jay fresh player cards from your head every time. Yeah. Just, he's you know i mean he he is what he is like you said but like we've seen keith put riley with the the kind of like you know stay at home physical defenseman last year with labushkin so like he might be playing some some pretty important minutes for this team it's hard to say right now like i don't necessarily see it but i know nick you've mentioned it a couple of times and i've seen some people on twitter say that he, he kind of might be a good fit be- beside riley so i'm curious to see how it all shakes out because he's he's an intriguing ad and whether or not he plays meaningful minutes it's just cool to have him on the team yeah i, I distinctly remember you know the, the night he was drafted um like it was in that period it was like a few days before i graduated high school very vivid memories you know and like this guy's of, of an age with me he was obviously going to save the leafs mm-hmm. um and just so many kind of like things lining up, right? Like like uh, Morgan Riley got drafted in 2012, and the next day the the Leafs shipped Shen out, and so they were you know teammates for like what hours, and uh, and now back together again. And um, yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a cool move 
move. As I said, it's it's depth. I, I wouldn't even expect him to be like a, a regular every night kind of guy. But um, I don't think yeah, Dubas yeah. did it purely out of sentimentality. Though. No, no, definitely no, not. He feels um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is the type of defense when we, we expected they would they would kind of be targeting. And it's just nice coincidence that there's a bit of sentimentality attached to it. I, I mean, after after Keith's Timo Meyer drum, the, the biggest <laughs> beating a drum has taken on this podcast in recent months is my my Luke Shen drum. So uh, I'm happy with it. But um, obviously, that was one of three moves made that day. Rasmus Sandin being moved out to the Washington Capitals. Uh, Eric Gustafson coming back along with first round pick. Pierre Engvall moved out for a third round pick. He's off to the New York Islanders. And then the third uh, traded out for Shen. Not that third, a different third. But um, those were the three moves on, on Tuesday. And obviously, that's that's added on to the, the big moves that they made earlier on to get things done. So uh, it's uh, it's been a, an active active period even even if it wasn't today um and i guess nick just kind of overall thoughts on on um how, how you feel about this I, I know that we were all kind of feeling good about it a few things have transpired since our last episode uh, where do you stand well i, I know a, a lot of people are probably expecting a little bit more on the final day here especially after the leafs acquired that first rounder uh, in the sandine trade but I, I think regardless of whether they were able to flip that asset today for you know uh, one more upgrade before the deadline passed that deal stands out to me as perhaps the the best example of strong asset management um i I think it had become clear especially after the addition of jake mccabe that rasmus sandin was going to be on the outside looking in again this playoffs and you know you can only go so long for a young player like that to to hold his value around the league i think they were nearing a, a tipping point where you were going to start getting ever closer to that Travis Dermott situation. You know, a player that came in, drafted in the, kind of the same range as Sandine, came into the league with similar promise and similar expectations, uh, performed very well in sheltered minutes, um, and just was never really able to take that next step to elevate himself in the lineup. And by the time the Leafs decided to move on from Dermott, his value had diminished to the point where they had to take a third-round pick. So I think it was pretty clear that they didn't want to see uh, something similar unfold with Sandine. And if he wasn't going to be a part of their plans moving forward, I, I think it was really, really good asset management to to get something of value for him while they still could. Um, and I, overall, I, I like the look of the blue line a lot more with McCabe in there than I did with Sandine. I think... Um, McCabe looks like a player who's going to provide quite a bit of surplus value on that two million cap hit over the next couple of years. Uh, I think he's significantly more mobile than Sandine uh, on the back end, among other things. His gap control looks really good. He looks composed with the puck and snap it around. I, I think you know, outside of the O'Reilly edition, uh, the the McCabe trade is is right up there for me as perhaps the most impactful move that the team was able to make, and not only for now but moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I think. You know, you kind of nailed it with the Sandine thing. Like, no matter how you kind of drew up the lineup once McCabe was acquired, you know, he, he wasn't going to be in. And, you know, if he's work, worth a late first right now and, you know, he sits in the press box for the entirety of the playoffs, that's not going to help his trade value. So, Especially I, when everyone knows that you're kind of painted into a corner and going to have to move him at that point, right? And that's not even factoring in the contract stuff and the whole you know whether or not he was super pleased about the log jam on the left side and then you go out and add another left-handed defenseman like clearly he's not you know you, you got to kind of look at that angle of it too so yeah i think that's tidy work i think 
like I was like everybody and I fully expected that first to get flipped and I kind of expected it to get flipped that night just in that kind of flurry of trades. Like it seemed like they weren't going to hang time, on to it eh? very long. That was wild. And oh, what a rush Tuesday was. I know. I was trying to catch up to everything sitting in a small <laughs> food court. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I, I agree with you though about McCabe. I think, you know, kind of hard to get anything out of that Edmonton game. That was a bit of a wash, um, kind of burn the tapes type of game. But um you know watching the calgary game he really stood out to me and it was more along the lines of like his ability to move the puck and his ability to skate like i think you know definitely not somebody who has watched a ton of buffalo sabers and chicago blackhawks games in my <laughs> life so i'm kind of going off of what i've heard about mccabe and what you can see and kind of the you know the public data and stuff like that um and that doesn't really paint the picture of of kind of his mobility i don't think and that's what really kind of you know surprised me um and i had heard people say that you know he, not to, he wasn't just your kind of regular stay-at-home defenseman that wasn't going to move out there he was jumping up in the play in the offensive zone he was pinching down getting open like he he wanted the puck so uh, that that really kind of stood out to me i think that's what's going to allow him to kind of perform even better within the Leafs system is that, you know, he, he kind of, you could see him thinking the game the entire time out there. He wasn't just standing on the blue line, like maybe a, a Justin Hall does, although Hall was involved the other night too. So yeah, I, I'm really excited about him. Um, still a little early to, to say with what, you know, you can expect out of like a Lafferty. Um, but all in all that, uh, you know, feel pretty good about the moves and I don't think I'm going to miss Pierre Engvall at all. So <laughs> I don't really need to comment on that. <laughs> We have to pour one out for him on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we've had plenty of Engvall discussions over the years. Uh, he, he Most was, of them not favorable. <laughs> he was an underappreciated contributor to the transition game, right? Absolutely. Which, which is important. But, but for me, like there were just too many times where he looked like looked like a quarterback after a turnover out there, you know, just kind of making the business decision, right? Like the biggest concern uh, for me with with the Engvall move, uh, like obviously, you know, they wanted to go in a different direction stylistically and it, it, it could definitely impact the transition game a bit. They're obviously banking that, you know, they have enough good players to to kind of uh, absorb that loss and you add you know an element that he just wasn't bringing the biggest concern for me might be for David Kampf because like there are some yeah. numbers suggesting that he was kind of being propped up a bit by Engvall he hasn't had a great season um, so we'll, we'll see how, how things work out there with with uh, however that lines up did you guys uh, happen to see the piece from Camp Sharon in the athletic that was discussing the transition numbers for the Mikheyev Camp Engvall trio from the postseason last year I did not see that I did not for those who don't know, Cam Sharon was a member of the Leafs front office and I believe the analytics department for a number of years. Uh, he just put out a piece that it was illustrating how their transition game was completely dwarfed in the postseason last year. And I think, you know, the eye test kind of supports that too. It really felt like Mikheyev and Engvall in particular uh, disappeared in that first round series against Tampa Bay last year, you know, especially after they had kind of shown some signs of life uh, and signs of being able to contribute in an impactful way throughout the regular season. That never really happened uh, for those guys in that series against Tampa Bay. And I just thought it was really interesting that that there was some data to back that up, that there was a very distinct difference between what they were able to provide in the regular season and what they brought in the playoffs. You know, small sample size 
and all that. It's only a seven game series, but still thought it was noteworthy. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, Cam's a, a an Engval booster too. He's yeah. a fan of his game, and and it's you know so it's notable there. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's what it comes down to, right? It's it's you know it, transition's a big part of the game, but when you come out of transition, there's battles and there's you know net front action, and and you know those are those are not strengths of Pierre Engvall's, and, and they wanted guys who who relish that a bit more. I think. Yeah, I think there's some people concerned that the Leafs subtracted some goals from their lineup without maybe replacing them directly. But I think what we're seeing unfold here is that the Leafs believe that they are better suited with these additions to create offense in a different way when the playoffs roll around. I think, you know, you see players like Lafferty and Achari who may be more capable of actually creating something off of the forecheck. I know Engvall had speed and could get in there and stuff, but he was never really a disruptive force on the forecheck, at least not for what you would like to see him be able to do with his skill set and his physical makeup. Um, I I think Lafferty and Achari are also guys who are probably more likely to get into those dirty areas around the front of the net and get a stick on a loose puck or jam in a rebound. Just not things that Pierre Engvall has been known for. Uh, Again, I I don't want to sound like I'm completely shitting all over the guy. Obviously, I was never his biggest fan. I do recognize that there were positive attributes to his game and there were things that he did for the Leafs that, you know, helped them to drive play. Uh, But I just think that the the stylistic fit for what they're looking for in the playoffs, it just wasn't there with Engvall. Thoughts and prayers to the many Islanders fans who seem convinced to that they just added a real good checking forward who's power, power hard-nosed forward. and gritty and... Oh, God. <laughs> in for a surprise. <laughs> Um, one thing that I will say, you know, obviously Sandine moved out and I think you explained it well, Nick, like it was very much kind of a hinge point in, in his development and his value. And you almost had to make a call on him at, you know, if not now, then certainly in the off season. And, and like you said, you, you would have kind of been in a position where everyone else knows you have to do something and that might, you know, affect his value too. So we just I, saw the Jacob Chikrin saga, right? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, what a disaster. So I, I like, I think that they still made a, a, a pretty good move uh, to to acquire you know a first round pick at Gustafson's like you know he, he's he's a guy who's producing right now he's an upgrade right now on the blue line and I think that um, Sandine's still going to be a, a pretty good defenseman if I if I had to bet like if yeah. I had to bet he's going to end up being like Anton Strahlman who's just kind of hanging around the league for the next 15 years and just kind of being a productive guy and and but you know it's 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 the circumstance that you find yourself in one thing that I will say about the defense is like we saw Keith go to the seven defense look uh, against the Flames and uh, Timothy Lilligren came out. I, I didn't make too much of it. Um, I, I'm hoping it's because they know what they have there. But he was also a little banged up the night before, right? Yeah, but I guess the only thing kind of, you know, in the back of my mind is just given his deployment in, in the playoffs last yeah. year, he came out after a couple of games, felt like there wasn't a lot of trust there. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, we were talking about the transition game. You know, you, you remove Sandine, you remove Engvall. Don't think that you can uh, remove Lilligren. I, I want to see him in, in prime minutes in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's, that's something that I've been kind of th- thinking about too. And, like where he fits in and for me like i don't know riley riley's the guy that i i want to make sure is going the most on the back end and you get the most out of riley when he's playing with brody and i've found that you know the geo and lilligren uh pairing probably would be the next one that i'm the most confident in so like i i don't know it's 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 intriguing because i think you're right nick and and what we talked about with the um mccabe and and brody pairing has a lot of promise too but i'm really curious how this is going to shake out like i think that's that's the part that we're probably left with after the deadline maybe being the least clear is just there's a 
ton of NHL quality defensemen on this roster right now, you know? So, I mean, depending on where you put Jamie or Jordy Ben and, and, and Connor Timmons in that, but they're still NHL defensemen. So I think one thing that was made clear here is that the, the Leafs don't want to have to use Connor Timmons in a playoff game if they can avoid it. They don't want to have to get to that tier yeah. of player. No, for sure. Yeah. So I guess it, for me, it comes down to Justin Hall is clearly a favorite of Sheldon Keefe. And I, I would imagine probably somebody that he communicated to to Dubas to, to not move on from. Like we saw him move on from Angval as kind of a player that was on an expiring deal that you kind of recouped a little bit out of before they walked for nothing. Like seemed, I don't know, like it's, it seems like he's going to play. So that really kind of gets, I down. Mean, he was out there in the last minute of the Calgary one game, game defending a one goal lead, you know, and they got seven defensemen in the lineup, including some new guys. So one of the tightest, played defensive games of the year i found on both ends yeah. like you know so yeah i don't and, know and keith raved about their third period too so i mean uh, it, it wasn't just yeah, like called a, it the best third period of the year <laughs> yeah it wasn't like a one-off that that's the guy they trust in those situations i i you know i think as the deadline drew closer and closer it, it just kind of became abundantly clear that this wasn't a player that they were willing to move off of yeah so i mean then, then are you looking at a you know if, if you got some combination of of Riley, Brody, Geo, Lilligren, and then probably McCabe and, and Hall, I think is kind of where you start. And maybe you swap in Luke Shen as the temperature of the series goes up and down, I guess. Yeah, well, even when we were initially breaking down the McCabe acquisition the other day, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think all three of us kind of said that we would like to see him start off with Hall and maybe try to recapture some of that magic that Hall had Muzzin, on that shutdown yeah. pairing with Muzzin over the last couple of years, right? Um, I, I Yeah, it, it's definitely going to be the most interesting thing uh, about this is watching how the deployment shakes out on the back end. But I mean, even look at how Luke Shen was used on those cup runs with Tampa. You know, he was in and out of the lineup. He you know, was trusted to play alongside Hedman every now and then. I think it's it's just going to be a lot of situational things. And, and the good thing is that you know, there's this isn't like the the Felino trade deadline move a couple of years ago where it felt like they had to get him in and they had like five minutes for him to get used to everything. And never mind the injuries that that came along with that. But they, you know, there's still a solid a chunk of the schedule remaining here down the stretch for Sheldon Keefe to tinker with things and just kind of see you know what looks the best and and what is most effective and how he can best construct this lineup before the games really start to matter. Yeah, I'd say over the next ten ten games, you're going to see a whole mix of crap on the back end and on the forward lines as well just trying to figure it out because i would like to think and and like to see that maybe once you've kind of settled on something you do give it a bit of a you know five to ten game runway before going to the playoffs so you're not still shuffling the deck chairs you know come early april i I think the one thing that we're we're not really talking about here is eric gustafson i know he seems like kind of a footnote in a lot of this Mm-hmm. But when you when you look at how the the blue line kind of shakes out now, if you're if you're looking at it as Lilligren still being in the top six or or at least on the fringes of it, you know you you've got Eric Gustafson and Luke Shen as your seven and eight. Those are two very different players from one another, right? They both provide very distinct skill sets. I think Gustafson provides some really solid insurance for 
Riley on the power play or, or as a puck mover out there who can handle sheltered minutes and maybe drive some offense from the back end. And then you've got Luke Shen as your, your prototypical butcher. Uh, I mean, you look up butcher defenseman in the dictionary, it's Luke Shen's picture there, right? So I, I think they created a little bit of diversity and, and gave themselves some more options there. In that article I wrote, uh, I can't even keep track of the days anymore, but I, the week and a half or two weeks ago, uh, kind of calling for the Leafs to make these moves on the back end and try to optimize their versatility and things like that on the back end. When the six and seven or the seven and eight defensemen were Rasmus Sandin and Connor Timmins, you didn't really have a, a whole lot of versatility there. They're, they're very similar players in their strengths and their weaknesses. I, I think the, the whole blue line is set up much better now to, to give Sheldon Keefe a lot of different options. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Sounds like Matt Murray is going to get the start Saturday night, and I don't think that goaltending was really something that any of us wanted to see addressed at this trade deadline, but uh, I'm just having a a harder and harder time imagining Murray being a guy that you can count on his availability as the playoffs roll around. Yeah, that's become just abundantly clear, right? As the Not only as this season has gone on, but the, the last few years for Murray, that's been the, the biggest problem with him is his availability. And, you know, we, we've seen that again this year. So, yeah, you, you're bang on. It's going to be difficult to rely on him moving forward. But, you know, obviously getting him back healthy at this point and hopefully – getting him into a run of games to, you know, round into form. And hopefully he is able to stay healthy and contribute in the postseason. But yeah, I certainly wouldn't be banking on it. No. And I think like you, you know, you've seen him in the last couple of years when he is healthy, he can get on a little bit of a run. So I think you just kind of hope that, you know, you, you see the Murray that you saw early in the year while he's healthy over the playoffs, if, if he even needs to come in. Like, I think that's the other thing too, is unless he comes back in the next, 19 games or whatever they have left and absolutely is on fire and steals the net from Samsonov. I think we all know it's probably going to be Samsonov in game one. Yeah. So he might not even really sniff it and this might be complete non-issue. But for me, it's it, the whole acquiring goaltender insurance thing is like you're talking about it having to get to the point that there's two significant injuries to your goaltenders. A, no team in the league can withstand that. Yeah. And B, do you feel that much better about Thomas Grice than you do Joe Wall at this point? Like, like yeah. concrete, you know, reliability. What you're going to get out of a, you know, a, whether it's a pinch hit type of thing or whether it's he has to come in and play three or four games in a row. Like, I, I don't. I'm not sitting here and telling you that I'm confident in Joe Wall, but I'm telling you I'm not confident in anybody that you're going to pick up <laughs> yeah. for whatever the fuck you're going to pick them up for at this point in the deadline. So it didn't ever make any sense to me. I don't think Corpus Allo was ever something that would have made sense. I, I just, Even that, I don't know. do you feel a lot more confident in Corpus no, Allo than you do really. Joe Wall, right? Like, I don't know if it's because Leafs fans saw Corpus Allo in the bubble and he kind of stood on his head yeah. and we have this like tainted image of him, but like he's not that good <laughs> like over the you yeah. know, body of work of his career. He's <laughs> has, it's not like he's been a, a true blue one, number one goaltender or even a 1A or 1B. Like he's kind of just been, you know middle of the pack is his entire career but yeah no i i I don't i never i never saw that as being something that made a lot of sense and i kind of just saw it as 
and I, I, a bit of a narrative that was drummed up by talk radio because they have to fill three hours of content every day. And, and 80% of them are ex-goaltenders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, it, it wasn't like another situation where a couple of years ago they had to go out and spend a third round pick to, to bring in David Riddick, who ended up playing, what, like one regular season game for they them? They know Murray's coming back. They, they had no idea if Freddie was coming back or not. And not only Freddie, but back the, think back to that time. Yeah. There was questions about Jack Campbell's health and if he was going to be available as well. So their, their backs were a little we bit were more a against lot the of wall. Michael Hutchison. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So here's here's what I would say to that though. Like I, I would even argue that like this year might have been a year where like the insurance was more necessary. Like like you say, you didn't know about Freddie, but like even if Murray comes back, you don't know about Murray. No. Yeah. And and also Samsonov seems to make a save every three or four games that I think he's blown out his ACL <laughs> on. Like he's yeah. he is he does yeah. not inspire confidence in me back there just when it comes to staying healthy. It happened healthy. again against Edmonton, eh? Yeah, yeah. He seems to yeah, get up a, slow once again. The Marshawn penalty shot. <laughs> yeah, that one actually did blow his knee out, isn't it? Is, yeah. Wasn't that the play that, that the he one. got hurt yeah. on earlier this year? He was yeah. out for a bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, and, you know, obviously he's got his hot and cold streak, so it's, and it's, but but ultimately it's asset management, right? Like, even yeah. if this was the year where the insurance made more sense, like like you said, Keith, it's, you know, if you if you have two goalie injuries, like, you're, you're just as well to roll out your minor league guys and hope that they you know catch lightning in a bottle rather than spend a, a third or fourth round pick on a guy who might just stink it out anyway right? there's no team in the league that feels great about their third string goaltender in a playoff series like it's now i understand i understand that one of our goaltenders is made out of paper mache but it's still not something that i was ever pumped or wanting to spend assets on and not for nothing joseph wall is 16 2 and 0 with Fucking a 932 <laughs> save percentage between the american league and the nhl this year i mean we all know things can fluctuate with goaltenders or whatever but he's given you absolutely everything you could have hoped for out of him this year when he's been healthy so i, I mean i just don't see what was out there or what would have been you know effective cost benefit sort of deal to to bring in someone to just kind of play above wall at this point all right well um trade deadline in the books what about uh, lineup stuff is there any any pairing or any line that you just got a burning desire to see at this point that that we haven't seen so far like we, we we've seen a few looks with o'reilly at at third line center right not not much but a few yeah, yeah i would yeah. like to see o'reilly with Kerfoot and Lafferty. I think a little bit well, of Well, I think we saw a bit of that yeah, in we the did. Calgary game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Extended look though. Like that that game was a yeah. there was every every <laughs> line every line that rolled over the boards is different. Um, I got a shift with Tavares in that game. <laughs> I'd like to see like a, a nice little run there. And I think what that means is that you're back to Yarncroke with Tavares and, and Nylander. But knowing that, you know, Keith's gonna have that blender out and O'Reilly's not going to play the entire game on the third line. And yeah. Yaron Croak's not going to play the entire game on the second line. But I think you get into a game where you feel comfortable, whether you know, you're know you up a few goals and you can keep rolling that out. But I think that just the makeup of that, it kind of has the pieces that I think could go together to be a good line um, of O'Reilly, Yaron Croak, and Lafferty. Just a little bit of speed. And then you've got you know the maybe the the kind of cerebral side with O'Reilly and the defensive responsibility and I mean say what you want to say about Kerfoot and we've all said a lot but <laughs> he's to me seemed to have elevated his game a little bit and over the last half a dozen games he was awesome against Calgary and even when he was with the Cherry and uh yeah and uh and Aston Reese on that fourth line 
I've seen a little bit more out of him now. Has not scored. Like, you know what I mean? Like, eventually you need the production. <laughs> Will not score either. <laughs> but, like, we're all, I think, you know, kind of believe in process-driven analysis and regression to the mean and all that shit. Like, at some point, they're going to go in, right? Like, he can't I, – I don't even know. I don't know what his shooting percentage is, but it can't be fucking – it can't be very high. <laughs> so, at some point, that's got to, you know, normalize a little bit and you just got to hope and pray it's – it's in April. You look at Kerfoot and he's just, there's a lot of things that he can do for you in the playoffs just because of how versatile he is. And the fact that you can slot him all over your lineup. Yeah. Maybe he's not going to drive a first line or drive a second line, but he's a decent enough complimentary piece to, to not really hurt you when you are forced to play him in those roles. And I think if you're playing him in your bottom six, you've got an above average bottom six forward there. Uh, my biggest PSA to Leafs fans and whoever's listening to this would be to at any point not get too hung up on what line combos you see tweeted out at practice or in warm up just because of what you said there, Keith. Like I, I don't ever recall the Leafs having a coach that would mix things up in game or make adjustments in game the way that Sheldon Keefe does. I think he has a really great mind for trying to exploit matchups, trying to kind of find the the appropriate amount of minutes for each of his guys uh, to be successful. So I think, you know, even if we're heading into game one and Mark Masters is tweeting out that Ryan O'Reilly is centering Sam Lafferty and Alex Kerfoot on the third line, just like you said, man, he, he's going to get, more than his fair share of shifts in the top six. Mm-hmm. And I think you can say the same thing about, you know, like we were saying on the blue line. Yeah. Maybe uh, Morgan Riley and Luke Shen are lined up together to start a game. But by the end of the night, you could see Morgan Riley playing 22 minutes and Luke Shen having 14. So I just think it, it's, it's really important to not get too caught up in what we're going to see trotted out there for, for practice combos and things like that, because we're, we're going to see a lot of different looks in game. And that's a big part of it, right? Like you want to, with, with all of these weapons for me, like as much as like adding to the team, it was about you being able to kind of diversify the attack. Like, like it's, it's yeah. been the same core guys for so long. And, and you know, the, it, it feels like teams have kind of, they know what to expect. They, they know how to kind of defend the Leafs as the Leafs have been the last few years. And, and I felt like they needed, you know, something to, to kind of just add another weapon to the arsenal right give give them something else to worry about is, is yeah. was kind of my thinking and it, you know, o'reilly let, like allows you to kind of shift things around and and yeah i, I mean I, I think that the options is is so much what it's about but it, it's also about like like you said nick you know you want to get a look at different things and obviously keith will want to you know know, know what his possibilities are what, what the line possibilities could be heading into the playoffs but like at the same time you also don't want to you know kind of settle on something and and uh, kind of you know give away that like here's what we're coming at you with and yeah. you know we're, we're gonna roll it you know down the stretch here the last 20 games and this is exactly what you're gonna expect game one so when you've got this much stuff like experiment and yeah. and you see what you got i've got a question for you guys what, what do you guys make of or like what direction do you lean in on the whole idea that you know maybe they made too many moves and it's going to disrupt the chemistry that the team had going or whatever because I, I think I might have mentioned it to you guys off air but I, I kind of subscribe to the idea that a little shock to the system or jolt for these guys at this point in the year could be a really good thing you know this is what the third or fourth year in a row where it feels like they're on like just kind of a, a preordained march to the, the postseason against a, a predetermined opponent 
it's just kind of like the doldrums of the regular season. You kind of just get lackadaisical or it, I don't know. I, I just think that this is the kind of thing that kind of snaps everyone to attention. There's a lot of new blood around. And not only that, I think it, the players that they brought in, and like more so the depth guys like Shen, like Nolachari, Sam Lafferty, th- those guys are going to bring such a stylistic change to the units that they're playing on. I, I don't know about you guys, but like I feel like this team has been missing – fire starters since Naz left and I, I think they finally got a couple of guys in that bottom six now who can go out there and drag the rest of the team into the fight in a way that Pierre Engvall wasn't going to do and I, I know it's difficult to quantify those things on charts and whatever sometimes but it, it's a real thing and I think it, it's obvious just judging what the Leafs or looking at what the Leafs have done over the last couple of weeks that they felt the same way and there was something that they really wanted to address in a meaningful way. And I think they've done it with the additions that they made. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I ever, you know, there wasn't a concern of mine that there was too many, you know, moving pieces or bringing in people or moving people out because I don't think, you know, the core of the team wasn't really impacted. And I, you know, it's not to say that Sandine and Engvall didn't have, you know, big parts to play in the room or whatever right but like i just i don't know like i think if you were to ask me that question and more like a morgan riley was traded or something like that like i could see that impacting the psyche of a team yeah but i don't i just don't see how you know john tavares and austin matthews and mitch mariner you know how something like this could really impact the way that they play the game for the rest of the season now if that that's more from like the, the the psyche side of it from like a systems side of it you know, we're not, this isn't the playoffs don't start next week. Like I think there's still a quarter of the season left. So yeah, I think there's plenty of time for these guys to come in and, you know, learn the way that Keith wants them to play and the assignments that they have and, and all that type of thing. These are pro hockey players. Like it's not, you know, it's not that like, it, I'm not trying to downplay it, but it's not something that they're, you know, not capable of doing over a 20 game sample. So no, nah, I, I think again, similar to what I said before, it just seemed to me to be like, all right, at least you're doing a bunch of good things. Like what can we talk about now that might be bad? Like, and that, <laughs> yeah. that was just one of the, that was just one of the storylines that came from it. I think the way I'd put it is this, I, I think that they probably took a slight step back when it comes to like maybe possession transition, et cetera, with, with the moves Tuesday specifically and a step back that should be completely wiped out. And then some by the top guys actually getting going, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like Morgan Riley is a huge part of their transition game. Uh, Austin Matthews, you know, we, we've talked about kind of the struggles he's had this year. Uh, like these guys have to ramp it up. And, and, and once, once that happens, presuming it does happen, I, I think that, you know, they have more than enough juice to, to make up for any kind of loss on the offensive side you, you might've had here. And I think that, you know, the guys that you brought in, uh, just give you so many more elements and affect you know the other aspects of the game to a much greater degree than uh, you know some of the guys that you moved out. So um, yeah, I mean I, I I'm I'm more or less positive, but I, I'm definitely going to be watching and, and seeing you know how how they move the puck. Do they, do they run into you know any any issues at all? Kind of getting up the ice um, over these next couple of weeks as they get adjusted. Yeah, another aspect to kind of all the changes that I just wanted to mention. I thought uh, JD. Bunkus and, and Sammy McKee have been kind of uh, trumpeting this point a little bit over the last couple of weeks. But, you know, when this team gets into a, a spot in the playoffs where maybe their backs are against the wall again in a tight game six or a tight game seven, I don't think you can kind of underestimate what it means to, to look around the room and see all the same guys that you failed with last time. 
You know what I mean? Like you you look around the room and there's some fresh blood. Now there's some guys that bring different things, some guys who aren't carrying that fucking baggage that the rest of them have been carrying around for the last few years. I I think that's a real factor in all this too. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's obviously getting, you know, deep into like the, the, yeah. Amateur psychology hour here, but But like, like I, I look at it a little bit like, you know, talking about the guys you're bringing in like a cherry O'Reilly, you know, McCabe, like hard nosed guys, they're, they're going to give it every shift. Right. And, and like when you have guys at the top of your lineup who, you know, have shown like a, a little bit of a pension at times for, you know, sometimes the, the foot's off off the gas and, a and, and, you need, <laughs> and you need to get going. Right. And, and, you know, it's it's not a thing unique to the Leaf stars. It's it's the thing that happens everywhere. But, um, you know, when, when those guys kind of know that they're not going and they're kind of they're kind of looking around and, and it's, you know, like like Pierre Engvall can't stare daggers at Austin Matthews when he's not going right like yeah. like Pierre Engvall has has those times too and, and you know when it's a bunch of other veteran guys who who are just you know pedal the metal all the time yeah. like it, it, it's it, I feel like it introduces just a little more self-accountability into the into the picture and, and again that is uh, agree wholeheartedly that, that, that's our amateur psychology 101 for, for and I, I don't I've episode. always wondered about that too and this goes back to like I don't know like the, a long time but just like the concept of the star player you know that maybe doesn't try all the time like it just looks different for those types of guys like it's easy for nolichari to look like he gives a shit because he's just gonna skate in a straight line and ship the puck in and try to try to hit the guy like it, you're like oh that guy's working hard whereas you look at like a kneelander who's just like constantly reading the play trying to get in the right spot and then if that doesn't unfold or if you know the, the play moves away from him that like that's just his game it's going to look like he's not engaged or whatever but more often yeah. than not he's in the right spot so it's it's just if the game if they're not getting the bounces and the game's not coming to them they just don't like i'm sure austin matthews could go do that like he could just go grab a puck dump it in and, and chip, but that's not that's not how he's effective so if it's not going for them it's just they don't have like a a, a b or c game that is super super easy to you know to to execute and to at least look like to the everyday person like they're trying like i all that is to say like i don't think that you know nylander and marner skate on the ice and not try i just think it looks yeah. different for them when it's not unfolding the right way and i don't know if i necessarily want them to turn into a you know a, a blue a blue collar lunch pail kind of guy just so that it looks like he's trying harder i'd rather them do the things that make them great that just brings me back to the point i made about having those fire starters or guys who can drag you into the fight in the lineup right so on those nights where it it is going that way for the top guys you at least have some of that juice in the bottom of the lineup that that, that could get things going in a different way rather than just watching pierre engvall skate by four guys in the neutral zone and cut back and take it back to his own end and then turn it over. Right. It's, it's just, yeah. it's nice to have some guys who are, are going to bring that energy on a consistent basis. And, you know, what was the one thing that we always said about Zach Hyman and what, why we loved him so much when he was here is you knew exactly what you were getting out of that guy every night. He was going to bring it every night. And I think you could say a lot of the same things about uh, the additions in the bottom six uh, in a cherry and Lafferty. Well, I, for one, I'm excited to see, uh, how everything comes together over the next couple of weeks. Um, this roster looks good, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, 
it's very good. It's, I mean, it, you know, the, the other thing, like, you know what it's going to be if, if the Leafs, if it doesn't go well, it's going to be how could Kyle Dubas load up when the Boston Bruins were right there? You know, <laughs> that there was no chance to get through the second round. How could he move out all this future draft capital? It's, you know, it's the way it goes. You so, can write it already. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I mean, we've I feel like we've said it the last season, certainly last season. But you know, you, you can't really fault Kyle Dubas much at this point. If if this team fails, he's he's given them every opportunity here. Yeah, I mean, you look at this roster on paper, and and then look me in the eye and tell me that the guy who put that together isn't who you want running things. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's it's hard to to not be impressed with the roster he's put together heading down the stretch here. Yeah, and even looking at the lineup matched up against Tampa like at this point now with Ryan O'Reilly you know potentially being on third line like I think they're matched up very well up front you know you could make arguments for either side having the edge but there's no clear gap and then you know I think the Leafs have the edge in the blue line yeah and then obviously goaltending is what it is but that's not something that you're ever going to be able to you're not going to pull up even to them to them on the goaltending on the trade deadline like that's that's not going to happen no. so for for what you could do and what you could what was realistic pretty happy keith yo hear that you're a formula one boy now oh yeah <laughs> i was like what are you talking about yeah yeah like, I, uh, I mean i've not watched a race in my life but i will be there um because i don't know how to uh say no to things <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, yeah I'll, uh, so you're headed to montreal this summer sim- you know similar to when i went to uh when i went to italy and went to a soccer match i uh i came home with a bit of a fire uh, and and was a soccer guy for about three weeks so i uh <laughs> It could happen again. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to ask you soccer guys what your favorite part of the MLS opening weekend was last weekend. I don't know if you guys wanted to chime in with that. Um, <laughs> but uh, Yeah, let's move on from that. My, my soccer uh, fandom was uh, short-lived. Check back in uh, 2026. Um, that's when the World Cup is, right? Yeah, I, I believe that's right. right. <laughs> um, so, ha- have have you dug into the Netflix series "Drive to Survive" yet, or, or where where's no, your? No, I just finished the golf one. Okay, um, full swing, and it was good. Uh, but no, I, I I think I will because um, I did enjoy the the full swing one. I know it's like the same producers or whatever, so I'll probably check that out. And yeah. I hear that that's been everybody's like gateway into into f1 is is through that series absolutely i've I've told the story before but i went to the canadian grand prix in montreal in 2019 for my buddy's bachelor party and that was the year that the first season of drive to survive came out so Mm -hmm. you know we watched that to kind of get into it not really realizing that it was going to be like a phenomenon and and uh have just kind of gradually gotten more and more into it over the years and and uh pretty excited season starts on on sunday um and yeah, if you liked uh, Full Swing, you'll you'll enjoy Drive to Survive. I, I I finished Full Swing as well. I think especially the early seasons of Drive to Survive very good. Just finished the the latest season. It was a little less so, but I think that's probably in large part because I'm you know a big fan now and I'm knowing like I know what's going on during the actual season as opposed to just getting my recap in a ten hour blurb at the uh, uh, you know a week before things start off for the following season. Right. So it's I, uh, but it's it's fun. Yeah, I loved in the the full swing that 
Joel Damon guy. Where I, like, that was great. I've never yes. related more to a professional athlete oh, in my man. life. Like, New phase. He just comes in. He's like, yeah. He's like, somebody's got to be the 90th best golfer in the world. <laughs> he's like, I can't, <laughs> I can't compete with those guys. <laughs> and then he's like, he's just like super self-deprecating and like going on about, you know, oh, I didn't make the cut. And if you don't make the cut, you don't get paid. And it, they're kind of like painting the picture of this like starving artist. I go in and look, we made, <laughs> made $1.7 million last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that that series got got much better as it went on like a, it, yeah I, for I, sure. the first four episodes i was like listen can you guys tell me one more time if you don't make the cut do you get paid or don't you get paid because i yeah, i don't know if you've clear. said it enough for the first four fucking episodes but uh yeah, yeah you'll drive to survive you know you'll be a little bit of the same thing trying to get uh get acclimated to the sport but uh, I, th- I think you'll enjoy yeah. it. it's you're you're in the same position as me four years ago so sounds good um, all right, fellows. Well, we'll uh, we'll link up again after uh, a few more uh, after we give Voltron just a, a few more days to to come together here. <laughs> Cheers, boys, goalies. Yeah.